All right, here we are for another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm here today with Jared Dunn. Jared, thanks for joining us. Hi, Paul. Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, we didn't have an episode last week because I happened to be in the hospital uh, recovering from a minor heart attack. And uh, I will actually be doing a podcast on that sometime this week to kind of fill in uh, let people know what had happened and uh, what the results were. But just to know that I'm... Fairly good health and glad to be back here. <laughs> We're glad to have you, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Glad. All right. Um, my story will, will, will wait for today anyway. Jared, um, we did postpone last week, and so we get to kind of pick up and, and move forward from here. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you uh, made the time to come out today. So let's just, let's just begin where we always do and um, tell us a little bit about your story. And when I, when I talk about your story, your life story, whatever that, that looks like and sounds like to you, it's not just surrounding the recovery pieces and the sobriety pieces. I mean, those interweave in, into this discussion and dialogue. And, and that's part of what Just Another Bozo on the Bus is about. But we're a lot more because we deal with social and cultural issues. And, um, and obviously we want to we, we want to support people in finding how to live a life of sobriety. And when I use the term sobriety, I use it a little bit loosely when it comes to drugs and alcohol because sobriety for me and always has been a state of mind um, and a state of being uh, on an emotional and a mental level. So with that in mind, tell us a little bit about how you got here. Well, um, born and raised here in Salt Lake, uh, the youngest of three boys. Um, uh, my mother and father divorced when I was very young, and uh, just a few years later, my my dad at a young age died of a heart attack. So, oh, yeah. Um, and you used the, when you met when we met this morning. You came and you goes. You asked me, was it a widow maker? And was that your dad? Was that what he went through? Correct, okay. correct. And uh, and that term means that it's a serious enough heart attack that. It can't. They can't go in and and do anything for it because it's so laid on, or the blockages are so bad, the arteries and the heart are so damaged. Yep. Yeah. Right? It, to my knowledge, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess we can kind of go sidetrack from there. And you know, he died at forty-one from a heart attack, and oh. you know, I I just knew, you know, I was nine years old when he died. I just knew he died of a heart attack and that's it. And as I, as I got older, you know, I learned, well, there's more to it than he was just eating fatty foods and <laughs> greasy foods. He did a lot of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> he he uh, did a little booger sugar and uh, <laughs> uppers and downers and all around smoked. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so that, that you know, I'll, I'll kind of get to, where I start following that footprint. Okay. Butter sugar is a term I know, yeah. but not not everyone knows what that means. No, so. no. Yeah. Well, you know, because I, it was my DOC, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the what, what's the other one? The the um, Bavarian marching the, powder. Yep, Bavarian <laughs> marching <laughs> powder. <laughs> or Bolivian. 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 Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, after he died, my my mom was raising three boys on her own for a few years, and then end up getting remarried, and uh, you know, and 
and getting remarried to to an alcoholic and you know her dad was an alcoholic so it, it's it's in the family my my dad ha, had substance abuse issues um so you get through uh get through childhood hopefully unscathed and you know then you get into uh you know your teens and your 20s when 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 you start following the same path of 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 your family members, you know, it's, and, and for me, you know, it was. Now are you talking at this point, are you talking about this following in your, your dad's footsteps? Or are you talking about brothers and sisters it, or what? Probably, probably a little bit of, of everything. Okay. You know, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm not exactly sure what type of life my dad lived in between or lived between 16 and 22. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just suspect it was could be similar, you okay. know, in terms of, you know, you, you get out of high school and even a little bit through high school, the weekends were for having fun, and mm-hmm. and so I was a binge drinker, and probably from the age of eighteen or nineteen to thirty, you know, the weekends were just game on, drink as much as you can, and from six or seven o'clock till. Until you can't go anymore. <laughs> right. Until you, or until you run out. Run the, yeah. Or fall asleep is it, what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Or pass out. Yeah. Exactly. And I always felt I was a, a take it or leave it kind of guy, you know. In my 20s, if I had to take a weekend off just because I was busy doing other fun things, I could take a weekend off. It was... You mean a party? From partying yeah, and drinking. Right. right. So I always felt like, you know... I could take it. I could take it or leave it. Um, you, got you, this, you got this. In, you're in control. Oh, man. I'm in control. You, you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I can take it or leave it, but I'll take it this weekend. <laughs> um, as you get, as I get older, I shouldn't say you, everyone's story is a little bit different. As I get, as I get older, as you, as I get into my thirties, you know, I'm still single, but you start feeling a little older. The, the hangovers last a little longer on the binge, binge outings. <laughs> So slowly the binge turns into less of a binge and more of a more frequent slow, you know, a slowdown or or a long type of binge, if you will. Well, there's some maintenance possibly starting right. to set in, right? Where, you know, I want to I, I want to slowly come down. I don't want to go through what I guess would be thought of as a detox or you know a withdrawal type symptoms. So I'll, I'll I'll wean myself down for a day or so. Right. Know, right. Exactly. And then or two, maybe two. As, as us addicts, you know, we're always wanting something to stimulate the brain, so the alcohol's not enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in my teens, and yeah, I experimented with, uh, you know, with everything. I mean, I think I was fourteen when I first did acid, you know. <laughs> but it's you know, and and same age trying pot. Okay, so let me ask you, who who introduced you to acid? Was it family or friends? Friends. Okay. Yeah. I ask you because it was family that introduced me to acid at 14. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. At 14, same age. Yeah, same age. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? It's a surreal experience. It's a lot to, for a young mind to wrap. To wrap. I mean, it's, 
Uh, you're trying to say look, wrap your head around it, but yes, it's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, what, what uh, all, all of a sudden I am placed in an environment inside my own mind, which has <laughs> where reality has been altered in such a state that I'm not sure what's real and what's not. Hey, and you think you do something like that at the age of fourteen? Mm-hmm. Here you are. Here I am at thirty, looking for new ways to stimulate my brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get from here to there. I fully understand and fully and fully agree. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, here I'm at thirty, finding new ways to stimulate my brain. So you know, it's it's then then in my thirties is when I start. You know, is is when. The opioid epidemic really is kind of getting some good wills and good traction. So the pain pills, you know, come in. And it's not just pain pills. It's all pills. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. I am am walking the same path as my dad. Interesting. The only difference is I have never once done cocaine. Not once. Go figure. Go figure. Because that's what killed my dad. I, you know, I found out in my early teen years that that's ultimately what what took him out so i said i'm i will never do that well it's definitely hard in the heart i mean and i i, I will admit that my years of of cocaine abuse definitely did have an effect on on have have had an effect sorry not did have had an effect on my heart and that's one of those things that i, I get to kind of own up to and say yeah this is part of it even though my heart was in good shape until recently, right. according to the doctors, but that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> and like we were talking before we started, uh, before we came on air, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think all substances, especially the way we use them, and that's to excess, <laughs> cannot be good on the heart. No, it can't. But it then, change the way I feel and think and emote. Yeah, right. You know, I started, you know, and, and that was one of the, that was the main reason I sought out to get help. And I, you know, wanted to get sober was the fear of following in my father's footsteps leading up to the death at age 41 yeah i just turned 40 and yeah got it and uh, mortality seems real and all of a sudden yeah yeah yeah. it's 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 crazy so it's i knew i had to do something bad because i felt that week leading up to when i asked for help and i got the help that Mm -hmm. i needed i really felt like i was flirting with death Mm mm-hmm and I could feel it in my body from head to toe. I could feel it in my my heart. I can feel it. In my, my brain was a mess, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, basically, what had gotten up, what had led up to asking for help, is that uh, basically I went through a severe withdrawal, and that combined with the thought of. I'm following in my dad's footsteps and I'm a few years away and I feels like I'm a few years away from death. Yeah. So describe kind of what you were noticing about that withdrawal. What, what was it? Because I mean the, the sort of the, the pain, the suffering, the anxiety that comes along with coming on and we're talking about alcohol. You're coming off alcohol. Um, but, but what were you noticing? Actually, that? I was withdrawing from Xanax oh. at the time, which okay, sorry. was far from a DOC of mine. Yeah. But Xanax is probably, Xan- it's, <laughs> 
is probably the most difficult drug to come off of, actually. Yeah. Because of its its half life is quite long, which means that it stays in your system for a long time. And um, what do you think? How how often or how much were you using at the, uh, at the height of this? That's the thing. I, I wasn't a big Xanax user, and what had happened is the uh, the pharmacy. F- I had I did have a thirty uh, a thirty. Uh, and I forget the the dose dosage amount. Mm-hmm. It was, in it wasn't the point. I think it was one point oh milligram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one milligram. Like one milligram. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, about six months before just issues sleeping with my addiction. So the Xanax would <laughs> I found helped me sleep. Yeah, it, and that's true. It will. It will help you sleep. It's just Xanax is the same as alcohol, just in a pill form. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, there, are, I, there are problems with that. I was drinking and. before bed, and and then I, so I was I was drinking, having trouble sleep, and of course, if you drink, you're gonna have trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd still drink, and then I'd pop the Xanax. Uh-huh. Right, it was about bedtime, uh-huh. and that, I noticed it, I would get through uninterrupted sleep. Uh-huh. It was wonderful. So, you know, I I told the doctor a story to get the Xanax. I'm having a hard time sleeping. He wanted to prescribe other things. I said, I heard Xanax is really good. So, got the Xanax. <laughs> One milligram a day for 30 days was my prescription. Was my prescription. Uh-huh. So, well, you were taking it every day. I was taking it. I was taking. I was, got to the point where I was taking some to work to help oh. me deal with stress at work. Mm-hmm. But I only had a thirty day. Once thirty day was up, I had to wait. You know, I'd blow through the thirty days in two weeks, and then I'd have to wait a couple more weeks before I get my refill. So, so would, would your alcohol intake increase over the, those next couple of weeks? Well, when you were out of the Zannies? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I didn't have you know if i didn't have mm-hmm. have access to pain pills or xanax uh-huh. or anything else yeah my alcohol, the alcohol i would crave use. the alcohol more i couldn't wait to get home and right. just not to compensate it. sure yeah so what happened what led up to that week was the pharmacy gave me a 90-day supply i was only supposed to get 30 so i got 90 days and i Start taking three a day for however long. Aren't you a lucky guy? <laughs> Not really, but you know what Not, I'm saying. Right? You know what? Yeah. That, it's the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, so I blew through that 90 days. I, I don't remember how long it took, but it wasn't very long. Mm-hmm. I was popping them every few hours. Every time I felt like I was just under stress, which be- became more often because of what I'm doing to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to cope. And blew through them, and then I did not have any idea how bad the withdrawal was from Xanax. I didn't, like I said, it wasn't really a DOC. It was kind of new to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't do any research on it. <laughs> but the doctor never told me how, you know, we want to taper off once you, you know, we decided to move you off. I never heard of any of that. Wasn't aware of it, so went through a pretty, pretty gruesome withdrawal. I can imagine. Uh, for a week, for t- about 10 days before I realized, I, like, all I want is another pill. Uh-huh. I want more pills to feel better. Right. 
But which is which is actually pretty normal. The brain screaming, you know, get me the drugs, get me the drugs, because it's it the, to get back to a state of homeostasis, just even a normal balance mm-hmm. in itself. I'm, I'm not even talking from a drug addicted point of view, except it is a symptom of drug addiction to um, have to maintain a certain level. I mean, we were talking about this. I don't remember who I was talking about this the other day with, but. Um, that this young woman we know was drinking um, a handle of vodka a day, which is about a half gallon, um, almost. It's a large amount. Um, and they uh, they always maintained a blood alcohol content of like 1.8 or something. Wow. Like, I mean, it was just that was just like constant when even when they were just hadn't drank in, in 12, 12 hours, you know, wow. that they were still that high. And that seemed normal to them. Right. So the, the same kind of thing with a, a drug like um, Xanax, which is a benzodiazepine, has that same kind of long term, uh, you know, effect that we go through because we build up a tolerance and then we have to maintain a certain level. So when that, that that was gone, the brain, it's normal. It screams out. It cries out. Give me the drug. Give me the drug. And that's why people either often do things they don't normally do for themselves, you know, go against their own code or their true north is what I'm calling it these days or their authentic self. Um, and. Or then they go, hey, I've got to make some life changes here. Right. And that's where you were. Is what that's I'm that's where I was. And that was that week was extremely, and I, gosh, I haven't thought about it. I just hit my two years two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting. And I, I haven't thought about that week in a while. And it's good to think about that week because that week, you know, you hear the the, the term, my, my brain, brain went to some pretty dark places. Mm-hmm. And it, it went to some pretty dark places. It went to some pretty weird places. Uh, I was not sleeping during the the withdrawal. I wouldn't think so. I had, and every time I would be on the verge of falling asleep, I'd have a panic attack mm-hmm. and wake myself up. It was just, I've never experienced that before. Yeah. And uh, so my brain started just really, really misfiring. Just, I, it was just misfiring. I was, it had was really just depressed and just really it was a low point it was a low point um well, was, it's sure, and now homeostasis at this point is getting farther and farther away, right? Yeah. There's no, you're, you're, you're not sleeping, so um, neurologically you're starting to use the word misfire, which is exactly what's going on. You know, the neuropathways that, you know, when you were well-rested and taking care of ourselves and healthy are working normally, we're functioning normally, but when we interrupt those things, and you can only go so many days without sleep anyway before, you know, psychosis begins to set in. Oh, I felt, I, it, it felt like I felt that coming. And, and the type of if I would not off for 20, 30 minutes, that's about the most I'd get. And I would have the most surreal dreams that are pulling memory that were pulling memories, things I had not thought about or feelings associated with things far from the past, like uh-huh. things I had not thought about. Like objects from my childhood. Interesting. It was just really surreal what was going yeah. on when I would get the twenty. Old memories minutes. are opening up. Yeah, and, and all it, of a sudden there's this cross firing. Oh on. yeah, it was yeah. crazy. It's fascinating how that happens. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was crazy. It was just a, so. All the while, I'm putting up a front, still going to work through all this, feeling like 
dog shit and no sleep and and just sorry, sorry. drinking <laughs> as much coffee and caffeine and, and water and multivitamins to just try to flush this whole thing right. away mm-hmm. nothing's working one day, I think it was a Thursday. Wait, by the way, I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard this before. You know, I, you know that the coffee's definitely not a good detox. <laughs> no, then I, then I realized. You know, it's not that I use it to detox. It was. I think my sister told me this. You know, who passed many you know decades ago, but they said no. It's you do coffee enemas. That's what you use for cleansing. <laughs> Sorry to divert. <laughs> well, you know, if I had I known that two years ago, would have tried it. I wouldn't, wouldn't have been opposed. <laughs> How did you get sober? Coffee enema. Coffee enema's coffee got me enema. there. Coffee enema. Cured No, so no coffee enemas, but what <laughs> happened was <laughs> uh, I was working and, and just the insomnia and no sleeping, I think, was on day three or four. And uh, going through withdrawal, the withdrawal symptoms, which insomnia is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brain's just just not there. So, but I thought I was having a stroke. Oh. I was working. I was out. I was at a customer's office, and then my left side, my vision starts getting a little blurry just on the one side, and my eyes twitching, and just I just kind of had this numb feeling on my left side. I'm like, I'm freaking out. Uh-huh. And uh, so I drive myself to Altaview, mm-hmm. and you know they go to the emergency room, and and like I said, I I did not know how bad the withdrawal symptoms were, but at this point, you know, I knew I was going through withdrawal, and they started asking me, you know, all these questions. They they run me up, uh, hook me up to an EKG, and do blood work and really start grilling me about stuff I had been taking. Right. Well, they had the blood work back. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. And And Xanax, by the way, those those benzo, some of those benzos stay in your system a long time. So they show up for not just a couple days, they show up for a week or more. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, they knew. They didn't tell me. They knew, but I knew they knew. (laughs) And I denied everything because I was still in heavy denial about it all. And I, didn't want to lose my problem. No problem here. Yeah, I didn't want to lose my prescription to my. That's what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I denied it. You know everything. No, no. You know, have you been taking on supplements? You know, workouts. I'm like, no. What was that all about? Uh Uh, No, I haven't been taking anything. You know, I took something like uh, a month ago. You know, I'm just doing this stupid, stupid thing. So, rope-a-dope. You're yeah. rope-a-doping, aren't you? I'm yeah. rope-a-doping. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. So I go through that experience, go into the weekend after having experienced that, and I'm just thinking about how just this whole thing. I'm like, really? I just did all that. Uh, how expensive was that? Uh-huh. I'm just like, I, I got issues. Uh, yeah, I got major <laughs> issues. <laughs> Yeah, you think. So. <laughs> I just did all that at the emergency room, playing rope-a-dope with the doctors and nurses, and I'm like, hmm, okay. Yeah. And I go into the weekend, and I have some access to some pills, and I take them. Mm-hmm. I start taking it, I'm like, I, Monday. They got you stabilized, though, at, at the emergency room, right? Right. No, when I say I have access to pills, street. Mm-hmm. I, True. I, no, I, but, yeah. but, I mean, you were stabilized. When you left, your symptomology was... 
was was more correct. Was okay. Your your symptoms were were managed at that point. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and they just told me to go see my primary care physician okay. this week about about this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I said okay. Um, and, and did you? No, okay. I, I, <laughs> I checked into rehab on Monday. Okay. <laughs> so right. I, I knew. I, I, I knew, okay. obviously. And uh, so, yeah. And, you know, it's. Hmm. I'm glad today, say here two years later, I'm glad. I'm happy for that. I'm, I'm glad it went that way. I'm but, glad yeah. my rock bottom was only that. Yes, right. Yeah. Which is not a very harsh rock bottom. Sure. So. And that's also relative anyway to each person based upon what their experience are, what brings them to that moment where they choose, I want to do something different in life, no matter what the problems are or the addictions are per se, you know? Right. Um, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about this in, in the correlation to, we talk so much about, you know, drug and alcohol addiction and the effects that it has on us, which is important. Um, but sometimes these other addictions that often come along that seem in some way, I, I mean, I've had, colleagues at times that have used the term soft addiction when it maybe comes to a belief or a lifestyle or some kind of dogma that they live by that may be really unhealthy for them. And it all kind of fits into the same same thing. The thing about drugs and alcohol, which sometimes seems so much different, it has such a physiological immediate effect on everything, especially our neurological functioning. So, you know, to, to hear kind of your process and how you came through this and and, you know, gosh, you know, congratulations, it's been a couple of years. But getting to that, that place and that point and then coming out of it, what, what, was, what was the thing that you kind of learned the most, do you think, that as you were going through that first part of your treatment and, or your, you know, rehabilitation is a word. But I, I kind of look at it as, you know, self-discovery, right? That, that journey where we kind of begin to figure out what the fuck we were thinking in the first place and, and what, you know, what our denial and defense mechanisms were, which you and I were talking about, you know, before we started today, too, was in regards to me and my health. So Right. Yeah. Um, I think... Oh, another another thing I haven't thought about was that recently is that that first thirty days in treatment. One of the one of the things I discovered about myself, and I, I still still struggle with it. Like I have this thing where I tell myself I don't need their acceptance. I don't need their need their acceptance but at the same time or validation is yeah, that where you're going okay exactly validation okay. yeah at the same time i i i do want it <laughs> i don't i want it on my terms <laughs> and i think that's what why a lot you know a lot of a lot of us get into the stuff we get into and you know it goes back to you know belonging and and fitting in you know mm -hmm. if you were a nerd you wanted to fit in with the cool kids how do you do that by smoking and drinking <laughs> yeah right know? exactly right yeah and i and, want i want to be able to go and and uh, hang out with all the different groups you know at a certain level i mean that was sort of my, part of my paradigm in the way i i tried to do it was you know i i don't want to just be part of one group i just have this call to somehow to be able to maneuver in and out of all the uh, these difference whether it be the the gearheads or the 
the um, the jocks or them to terms that are going back to when I was in school. Um, uh, <coughs> you know, the the nerds or the geeks or, or those kinds of things. So, yeah. you know, wanting to wanting to be accepted by I think multiple groups. Yeah, and you know, it's just like someone given me the advice I'm trying you know I've kind of discovered is that well A you don't need validation but you know to belong have a sense of community and to belonging to yes. to belong you can do that just fine by by well being funny or <laughs> you know being loving and caring and nurturing you know and as long as you don't do those things for the sense of validation, you just do them because that's in your DNA and that's mm-hmm. who you are, you know, that will get you much further and <laughs> it's much more rewarding. And, and the thing is, you know, I think we all struggle with, with validation at times. Like, so I think to kind of clarify valid, Getting receiving validation on my terms is something I still struggle with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I don't. There's times I reject validation or reject recognition when I feel it's not deserved for myself. Interesting. And then, uh, and then other times it's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to hear my <laughs> name in the in the in wherever for the hard work I've done. You know, and then I have to say, stop it. To be acknowledged yeah, for all that, be, all, all the things that you've I, done. I say stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. You know, it's... Well, the idea of getting validation... Well, and you and we, to maybe explain this, validation is seeking that other people to tell us that we're okay on some level, right? So um, val- having wanting validation on my own terms, you know, sounds a little bit like, well... You know, I want, I want, I want to, I, I want to tell you what that validation looks like, and I want to tell you when I need it, and you know, just be prepared to do it when that time comes. Right. Yeah. So we try to t- train the people around us how to treat us. I mean, this is kind of normal life one hundred and one. Like we teach people how to treat us, but we also, in the same way, we're talking about something like validation. This idea of accept- seeking acceptance is kind of changes a little bit. Um, because it really is, as you know now, and we've we've talked, you and I've had this discussion before. Is <laughs> this idea of, you know, acceptance is really starts as it's an inside job. It's you know, do I accept myself for who I am? Do I understand myself enough to know that I'm okay and that there's nothing really wrong with me? And the more that I live from that place, you know, even though it, it it's an ongoing. <laughs> struggle at times and maybe struggle is not always the best word but it's an ongoing aspect of life is learning to balance that with being okay with, with myself and knowing that I'm the source of those things but also you know how do I create this sense of belonging with my community and you use that word a couple of times belonging and I, I come back to I think that's such an important dynamic and you've you've known my philosophy on aftercare for you know years now so that that's what aftercare is, it's about learning to build community. It's about learning to create and establishing um, a sense of belonging through a community. doesn't matter where those people are from, which group they were in in high school, which, I, which is the part I love, right? Because everyone comes together from all these different walks of life right. and all these different socioeconomic um, statuses, you know, levels, and they all find the same thing in that in that environment in that support system that's the that's the greatest thing about the recovery community is that you have 
people from, like you said, from every socioeconomic structure uh-huh. and every background and is just such a diverse, you know, group of people that depend on each other for, for, you know, to, for friendship, for support, for, for comfort. And I, I, I don't know of any other community or group that, that has such a diverse, diverse uh, membership. If yeah, you know. right, uh, right. And we're not just talking, you know, like the the 12-step community or the AA community or anything like that. Um, we're talking a much more broader aspect to um, beyond the idea of program uh, dogma, um, meaning that, you know, people that subscribe to one methodology. Though um, I, I would say that the idea that maybe brings this type of community together is the notion that everyone, at least this is from my perspective, <laughs> I should clarify that, um, that everyone's seeking to live with, in some state of having a sober mind and a sober heart. I, I, that, that's sort of my idealism or, you know, altruism that, 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 uh, I project it into the the purpose of that community. Well, and what what do you find there? What 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 have you found? Just in the uh, recovery community, yeah, as in a the whole. sense of you know, and 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 that support that that comes from that. Because again, we this it's a very diverse community, right? And I think you know, if there's anything that you know, when I when I wrote the when I wrote um, recovering the seed, the idea was, is how do we become this multi-dynamic um, uh, community, how to, how to, how, because it brings everyone together regardless. It's the idea of living a whole life. I mean, right. I use the term wholehearted, right? But the idea of living a whole life, which really, to me, is about living a sober life. And, and however that looks, I don't want to judge what that looks like for someone else. But that's where we're all, to me, in a sense, we're all kind of going, you know. Right. If, if, if somebody has a glass of wine here and there, I, I don't judge them because of that, um, because I, I don't know what's right for them. It's not my place. In fact, it's, it, the arrogance of it is thinking that there's a black and white answer to all this. Right. I know what works for me. And right. I can say that, you know, <laughs> based upon life choices, I, I need to be, you know, clear and honest and being integrous with myself about that. But what that looks like for someone else, that that doesn't matter, and I can still embrace them in my community. You right. know, you know, you you we hear about this. You know, it's like the opiate addict that's on Zaboxin. You know, and people go, "Well, you're not really sober." Right. And I go, "That's kind of a a pretty tall card to carry over someone else, based upon their methodology or their system that y- they use to to deal with uh, uh, what their recovery looks like." Um, and I, I don't know if you, you have feelings or thoughts about this, but I'm curious what, what your, your thoughts are. Um, in specifically towards that issue or? Well, just I'm towards sorry. judging people based upon what, what they believe is, you know, what, what sobriety is oh, supposed to look like or recovery yeah. is supposed to look like. Yeah, because, you know, I, I did the 12 steps and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't go to meetings extremely frequently. So let me put this in an A perspective. Okay. Cause I, uh I appreciated the the AA uh I love my sponsors I sponsors great and we are best friends now uh-huh. so that's awesome congratulations <laughs> <laughs> um and it, it, but I wasn't a daily meeting goer uh I wasn't extremely frequent on the meetings and I felt like and it, it was my own issue but I felt like well 
you go to those meetings and and they stress that going every day, go to a meeting, do this. And and I went to a meeting once where I declared I'm never going to use drugs or alcohol again because I don't want to end up like my, you know, kind of like how I started the show is sure. following the footsteps. I explained that's why I'm not going to do it again. I sat down and some guy came up and basically said, you, you can't say that it's one day at a time. And I'm, <laughs> well, is this a presidential debate or is this AA? <laughs> so it's, it's the, yeah. yeah. So, you can't say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's the, uh, well, entitlement and arrogance doesn't necessarily <laughs> stop because, you know, alcohol's removed from the equation. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, I guess that could also be perceived as arrogance on my part or, or overconfidence in, in making yeah. a statement like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what he was probably doing. So I, I try to be open-minded and not, uh-huh. not, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, well, maybe as a point. But I think AA has kind of that structure where they, they, they want you to attend the meetings and it's, you know, complete abstinence, which... I do agree with I, mm-hmm. I, I you know I don't take anything I don't take cold medicine I don't take uh, allergy pills I, as I'm sitting here rubbing my eyes every two <laughs> seconds luckily my nose isn't you know but that's for me and that's my sure. that's how I've decided because I'm an addict it's all or nothing <laughs> it's, all, it's all or nothing so it's no I got I understand what you're it's saying it's all and nothing right now it's all and nothing right now yeah. um, so but I you know I'm not I'm not going to judge. Uh, I sometimes because you know I'm two years in. It's 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 I'm I'm into the community. I'm into the the sobriety. It, it's hard to not judge. You know if you if you hear if uh, you know if I run across people that say they have been through rehab or whatever mm-hmm. and they drink and do steroids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I, I, I can't help myself. But come on, you know better. But <laughs> at the same time, I just got to focus on me. I got to, sure. then that's the thing is worry about yourself. Yes. But yeah. I guess that's the biggest thing. Get out of your own head, but worry about yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, do, do we do our best not to define what this looks like for someone else? That is probably what, where this gets into um these where entitlement bleeds over into the recovery communities as we start to define what that looks like what sobriety looks like what recovery looks like and those kinds of things and it's kind of what i when the reason why i was i was bringing this up in the first place was the the idea that the sense of belonging is you know is is how we begin to work through those biases whatever they are right. and and in in life boy uh, you know i mean it's 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 very rare to meet someone who who has minimal bias in, in some way or another. I mean, even the, the Dalai Lama, you know, I was joking about, you know, that, uh, you know, he, he thinks happiness is uh, the the end to be all, you know, and, you know, you talk to someone else and they may not feel that way. I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, I, I respect and look up to the Dalai Lama as far as creating a path and, and, a, and a way forward in, in life of, you know, non-attachment appreciation. <laughs> the term I use to coin a, a little bit from um, refuge recovery. Uh, but I, I think this idea of being able to embrace people in a community and knowing that 
everyone is in some way trying to get to the same place and doing their best to get there. And that really what it comes down to is is knowing that, you know, I, I am, don't have the ability to decide what other people's rules and regulations are when it comes to this kind of thing. So then you, you kind of touch on a point there and then where what I was thinking about as you were talking about that. So when when we were going, you know, when I say we, you know, my group or, or whomever mm-hmm. of, of people with that were trying to work and get through sure. it at the same time, whether it be in the house or in outpatient or in aftercare, mm-hmm. what happens is, and we do this in life too, it's just not recovery, but what happens is the people that are working and putting an effort mm-hmm. tend to bond together and group together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the ones that don't, that are slacking off and not taking it serious, uh-huh. um, there seems to be like, if they fall, then there's this like, well, yeah, of course they did. Mm-hmm. Good luck to them. There's an attitude about it. It's and then weird. the ones that do work hard, mm-hmm. and if someone in the work really working hard group falls we tend to be more sympathetic yeah or empathetic uh-huh. I, 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 well perfect example <laughs> of bias that was a yeah. great that's a great term yeah so yeah. but we do that in life too i i do it i do mm. it i know i do it you know at work I, i'll i will you know i feel like i'm a hard worker and uh, the hard workers tend to attract one another mm. and admire one another and the ones that slack off and are are, are usually ridic- you know ridiculed, whether it's behind their back or whatever, you know, it's like. And then if they get fired or lose their job, it's like, well, it's their own fault. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's it's the same way in recovery where it, it's it's crazy. And sometimes the people that need the most help are the ones slack slack quote air quotes slacking off, but uh-huh. they probably need need someone to put an arm around him and, and show him the way sometimes yeah. other times you know it's they got to come to that on their own especially in recovery yeah you know? well and, and that's that's anything in life i mean again yeah and uh, my philosophy has always been that you know everyone's got addictions in their life addiction is a human experience and recovery is everyone is working to recover some aspect of their you know their being in the sense of living a mole a more wholehearted life or trying to become a better person. And maybe, you know, and, and, and whatever that looks like for that individual, again, I, do, I don't want to define what it is. Um, and I, I don't want to define the path they take either because the, there, there's just too many ways to experience it. And, and you, in, to use almost your own words, in a sense, is you, you found your way through this. Um, that worked for you, even though you knew at times maybe you weren't always making the best decisions or you, you were doing things that maybe you, that went against maybe the tide of the, the people around you that were going a certain direction. I think that that, that sense of authenticity, of finding really our, our place and what our truth is along these lines, it's, it's almost a refinement and, and the, this process of finding out what our truth is, especially when it applies to making serious and, and life changes, you know, kind of coming into our own. Right. The, the whole premise that you don't want it, you didn't want to be your dad, I mean, or you didn't want to at least have that same result. Um, you know, I was going to talk about this earlier. I'm going to shift just slightly. But the, my kids, by the way, said, yeah, well, dad, you know, you're never doing cocaine because, you know, you had a problem with it, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't kill me up till now but i mean kill me but um 
it definitely had their stories within, you know, my family system about the effects it had on the family and the effects it had on me. Mm-hmm. So th- those, those have been told by different people at different times. And, and so they, I would often hear, yep, never going to do that, Dad. Never going to touch cocaine. <laughs> well, you know, right. in a perfect world, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a few of my kids that did, you right. know, even knowing that they had a, this. And, and that didn't help them at all in the long run because it also created shame. I told myself I was never going to do this. And then, right. you know, then they're out one night and they go, you should try this. So stay up longer and drink longer. And I go, yeah. And so, you know, you know right. say, so why did you say you're never going to do that? You know? uh, no, no, I'm not talking to you. I mean, uh, I'm asking my sorry. kids hypothetically. But, yeah. you know, why, why did you say you're never going to do that? Because you, you really didn't know yet. I mean, that was your intention, right? So with you, you seemed really clear. You said, I'm not going to go that direction. You had, But again, this person had, had passed. I was still right. around. So I, I can hear the rationalizations in my own head. Well, he didn't die. Huh. So I think shame played a factor in the fact that I never ended up doing it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I did... Uh, um, gosh, why am, I, why am I blanking on... The prescription Adderall. Oh, Adderall, which yeah. I, I understand has the is has the nickname of Kitty Coke. Yeah, Kitty Coke. Well, Kitty Coke. Well, it's it's amphet- it's an amphetamine. Right. It's you know closer so, to meth than cocaine. That's for sure. Right. So you know, it's, you know, I skirt around it, but I think shame, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the shame factor. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, I've always said that, and I. I think even in my addiction, for for the most part, I w- I'm, was a person of my word. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't, you know, I would definitely manipulate it to make it seem like I was still a person of my word. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so the, the word, you know, I, I and being impeccable with my word, I, I wasn't always sure. in my addiction. But I think it's more so now. But I think that and the shame would have brought I, – I would have been – I am a, a a pretty hard critic of myself. Sure, and as as most people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, shame played a okay. huge factor in that. All right, Let, let's uh, we're gonna we're gonna shift just slightly a little bit. Um, let, let's talk about your experience of the victim narrative. Okay. So what what it's it's obviously one that's a big part of the um, the recovery community nowadays, and it. It's one of those things that seems seems to be really a cornerstone when it comes to personal development. Right. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Um, as far as being playing the victim in well, the role or developing of- an awareness of it and how and how the, the you know your experience of yeah playing the victim sort of begin, sabotages a lot of our ability to grow. I guess, right. You know? Yeah, I think the in the biggest thing you know. It's, it, Being a victim to whether it's circumstance or ailments, mm-hmm. I guess, I, that tends to be a big one where victim of stress, I'm just trying to associate it with what I what I had, mm-hmm. you know, between the pills and the drinking, mm-hmm. you know, that was my big thing is uh, my back hurts and I'm frazzled from work, so oh. 5.30, time to... <laughs> time to... Uh, Time to shut it all down. <laughs> time, time to numb it all. Time to, yeah. um, you know, and I, I think through through life, through when I say growing up, mm-hmm. that's from age one to now. 
you know, there was all sorts of different victim stance I took in interpersonal relationships, you know, and I, it kind of goes back to that validation thing where I didn't feel the right type of validation mm -hmm. from someone I mm -hmm. wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I really kind of played a victim role in, in, in how I handled that relationship and then terminated that relationship. You know what I mean? So, uh -huh. um, so do, when you say terminate that relationship, are you meaning that you found yourself in the victim place when you, before you would decide to terminate a relationship? So yeah. in your victim stance or victim narrative? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Like, why should I, you know, why should I reach out to this? They should reach out to me, you know, just doing that, like, and then just, and when I say terminate relationship, I basically just walk away or never, uh -huh. you know, it's not like drama. It was just shut off, uh -huh. know, shut off. Gotcha. Done. I got you. So it's, it's kind of stupid what we do. Yeah. So in, in, obviously the sort of the antithesis of that is taking accountability. And so what, what are the things that, that, that sort of propelled you into stepping into that personal empowerment? Like how did you, how did, what were the, what were the kind of things? I mean, I kind of know the answers to this cause you and I've talked about before, but um, you know, sort of the, the life changes you made for yourself. Cause you've made some, some, some pretty, um, powerful changes in, in your routines and your lifestyle over these last few years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, the, the big thing with staying sober is, well, either, <laughs> I always say it, the thing essential to, to me staying sober uh -huh. is having a rigid schedule of having having a rigid schedule but having a rigid rigid schedule that consisted of healthy things yeah. necessary things and uh self care type of things mm -hmm. loving self love type uh -huh. of things um so you know I needed to take accountability for what the hell had happened to myself between uh -huh. the age of basically 31 and 38 mm -hmm. where I went from age 30 you know, I was a weekend partier, but I was still pretty active. I had just ran a marathon at age 30 to get to age 38, where I was 225, 230 pounds, uh, which is large, which is large for me, uh -huh. um, and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, you know, 36 inch waist and, not sleeping at night because I'm drinking and taking too many pills. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that'll do yeah. it. So taking accountability, well, what do I need to do? You know, obviously do the, the, the obvious thing that we've talked about yeah. at length here is mm -hmm. that's get sober mm -hmm. and, and what does a sober, sober routine look like? Yes. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's, the ref self, the reflection, the self care, the doing the twelve steps, mm -hmm. the support groups, the meetings, the you know the the one on one sessions with the counselors, mm -hmm. a couple sessions, uh, er everything. <laughs> Take advantage of it all, but outside of that community, mm -hmm. I have to live my life too. Yes, yes. So yeah. I need to take initiative on on my my physical health. And so I, 
started, you know, when I checked into rehab, they, that luckily Wasatch has a, has a great program that, uh, promotes, promotes, uh, Going to the gym, yeah, right. Know? Promotes phys- physical, physical health, and, physical yeah. fitness, yeah, physical fitness. So once I left, I began waking. Well, I said I'm going to the gym so early in the morning that no matter what throws me off, what no matter what comes in the day, I have no excuse not to go. Uh-huh. So I wake up, uh, and you've been doing this for two years. For two years. For two years. Wake up at well about quarter to four to four, three thirty to four sometime, uh-huh. depending on when my body decides to wake me uh-huh. up. Uh, then I go to the gym, work out for about an hour and a half, uh, Monday through Friday, go to straight to work from the gym <laughs> and, you know, I'll work, you know, nine to 10 to 11 hours, depending on my workload that day, mm-hmm. uh, go home, cook, mi- cook my dinner. That's, mm-hmm. I prepare my food, I cook it mm-hmm. and then it's pretty much relax for maybe an hour and a half or two hours if I'm lucky mm-hmm. before my head hits the pillow. So that's my daily routine. And I felt that was important for my mm-hmm. recovery. It was to establish a, a strong, rigid routine that I have done now for two years. And if something, if a wrench gets thrown into that, you just deal with it. You just, you just roll with it. A lot of wrenches have been thrown in. To that in two years, as one would imagine, and uh-huh. you do not let it stress you out. And sometimes mm-hmm. initially, oh my gosh, uh, and you just shut up, just do it, <laughs> just just go. So, you know, taking accountability for for your physical physical well being, mm-hmm. your your time, mm-hmm. staying busy, and then finding new hobbies mm-hmm. too, which I have done. I I I started taking drums. Drum lessons. I bought a set of drums. I, that I'm is doing so drums. cool. That is uh, so cool. Music is so powerful. I suck at it, but it's, it doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's does not fun. matter. Does not matter. Yeah. And I've always wanted to do that, and I never did it because other things were important to me, <laughs> like just vegging out and getting drunk. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. And there's, there's something about that, and and I, I, this will lead into another area, but this idea too, and. I hear this so often that we people when they begin in this in in this journey of self discovery and and um, empowerment uh, sobriety that they look back and 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 begin to get honest with themselves about some of the things they said they couldn't do or they wouldn't do or they decided not to do. Like, you know, I've heard people that, you know, have constantly music's being one of them. Yeah, I wanted to play my guitar the whole life or I wanted to play drums or something like that. But I never did because I never thought I'd be good or I would paint or, or you know, whatever. Exercise. I'd run. I'm never going to run a race because, you know, if I... If I, you know, what, you know, if I don't, you know, do really good, then, you know, what's the point, you know? And, and so to hear this, I hear this over and over again, that people begin to all of a sudden take up things that they had gone in, that they had denied themselves of pursuing in their life. You know, like, like you say, you becoming, learning to play the drums and, you know, the idea of being, whether you, you know, you think you're going to you know, tour with it someday and, and make a lot of money is, is not the point as much as learning to express yourself in a way that brings I, you joy. If, if I had my drum set, I would have just done a rim shot right there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll add that in. <laughs> Finding that joy, right? So where is it that you find that? 
that Zen? Where do you find that joy? Oh, dang, at the gym. I do, I do. <laughs> I really do at the gym. And uh, I work out with my sponsor, too, and that's awesome. Uh, I found it at the gym. I, I find it, well, now play, <laughs> playing drums, I, I find it in most activities I do outside of work. <laughs> um, That's not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. So just about, and sometimes it's just being a lazy butt mm-hmm. and just, you know, after a hard, a hard week of work, sometimes it, it just good just to, to sit and do nothing for half a day. And I find that extremely joyful, yeah. you know? So, well, uh, it's, it's, it's because it's not something you do all the time. Right. right? So, yeah. Yeah. So it's different. I, I can find joy in just about any activity I do, um, you know. And sometimes there's there's some things I don't like doing that we have to do, and that's one thing I always say in meetings when I talk is that you got to do the shit you don't want to do uh-huh. to in order to uh, to kind of grow. Yeah. So, um, and there was something else I was going to say, but I forgot yeah if you remember we'll 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 come we'll we'll come back around we'll come back around to that um one of one of the other things i was going to ask you about um which we one of the things we talk about a lot here is um you know spirituality faith god uh connect you know whatever that looks like um were you raised in any particular faith system or no i wasn't uh you know obviously raised in utah so you're around the LDS religion, and uh, but I never took the Mormons. To it. The Mormons. <laughs> I never took to it. Uh, my family, you know, I had my family sprinklings of LDS throughout mm-hmm. members of my family, mm-hmm. uh, but most of my family are, are God believes in God in one form or another. I'm actually atheist. Okay. Um, I I still was able to do the twelve steps. Uh, I substituted. You, you know, my bet the best thing I, I I could find was just the power of the universe as my God. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I substitute the universe for God, and in, in just kind of, you know, we talk about God's plan. Well, I talk about the universe plan, or I think about the universe plan. The universe is going to go on with or without me. So I might this is, as, this is true. I might as well go with well, the energy and the flow. As far as we know, yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I'd like to believe it might stop if I were somewhere to happen to me. Well, your you, your universe may. Mine as well. <laughs> we don't want that. But this, this is the. The the idea. Well, first of all, I, I I guess maybe I don't see that much difference between universe and God, and, and God's just it, it is a word and it represents something for people and uh, whether it be a higher power or, or not. So when you see about and and you define yourself as as an atheist or non-theistic, whatever you know the terms are being used nowadays, but the idea um, of still you, you did bring up this sense of connecting and belonging a lot. So right. do you do you find um, in, in in a sense that that you you found some kind of, of spiritual component within you through you know con, you know through through the connecting and community and and relationships or and and I, and I totally am one that believes and not, not to this is not to project but 
you know, believes that that's true, that spirituality is also an inside job. It's not about what's outside of ourselves right. as much as it's about what actually is going on within and how we choose to connect and be vulnerable right. and, and show up, you know. Right. And, and I, I've, I, yeah, found the spirituality in, in every aspect, even, even work, even through doing well at my job. In whether spirituality is a sense of just calmness, relaxation, or that good little in the gut feeling, uh-huh. maybe it's all that combined. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, even you know, sense of spirituality, you know, mind, body, soul, you know, from mm-hmm. the work I do on a daily basis. You know, I start with the body and. You know, as far as the work, then I go into when I go to work, it's not the work itself that challenges me. It's the obstacles throughout a day that you fight with yourself uh-huh. that are going to be really challenging. The stress, the how you handle difficult people that may test you, how you might handle yourself under difficult circumstances. So work itself isn't challenging. It's how do I, how do I stay true to myself during work, and how do I leave work and not want to go to the liquor store afterwards? Right. So, how, how often do you think about going to the liquor store? Never, <laughs> never. So not a lot is what you're saying. I, I shouldn't say never, but it's yeah. it's it's pretty infrequent if 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 i am like it is we talk about schemas mm-hmm. if i'm taking a, a a literal road that i had taken in the past that would take me to mm-hmm. or, the, or buy a liquor store sure. i maybe it pops in my brain sure. for a second uh-huh. but I, I don't i have been to the liquor store multiple times you know actually yeah I'm, we've talked about yeah. that i know you for your your the golf tournament or something or whatever gifts for gifts for some, customers, you know, customers or whatever, and, you know, your clients and things like that yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and uh, the smell is was was is a little hard for me to mm-hmm. take and it's not the smell about maybe it is the smell about it's the liquor store smell it has a very unique smell <laughs> Well, it smells like alcohol yeah, it smells in there because like chances are there's alcohol's been yeah. broken. I mean, you can't only have a store right. that has, you know, a few thousand gallons of alcohol in it. That's it, true. Right, it it just it smells like the all the alcohol's mixed, not just one particular spirit yeah, or whatever. Right, so right, that's why it yeah. just has that weird odor. So that's that's a little like it just sparks something in my brain that, like, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, kind of know. like a CD bar. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, outside of the, you know, I've been to the liquor store, bought beer or liquor and beer for mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. as part of work. I, com- I I think I've compartmentalized well. You know, I do compartmentalize well. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I have made the decision and I'm pretty, pretty strong in my decision. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, with that, I mean, and, and with this, so um, this, what, what I'm hearing you say is that really the idea of spirituality and connection and and um, and even working the twelve steps from a um, uh, an atheist or non-theistic. Uh, approach, which I think is, you know, I know people get hung up on this a lot. Right. That you know, AA is all about religion, and you know, it's 
it, it's it's about religion only because people make it about religion, right. but it's really not. I mean, it's a, there are some words in there that yeah. probably there's a lot of emphasis put on them at times. That that yes, maybe it could all be rewritten and redone to right. to homogenize it so the average person who's agnostic or atheist isn't offended in some way. But the truth of the matter is, fuck, people are going to be offended by something at some time in their life, and that's just the way it goes. And and you know, and no doubt that. God offends a lot of the people right, from time absolutely. to time. You know, <laughs> and it, for me, it's not—it's not offensive at all. Yeah. I'm born and raised here, and and you know, I—I'm I, not resentful towards. There's been periods of my life where I did maybe have a little resentment. I, I noticed resentment towards the sure. Mormons from yeah. non-Mormons. Yeah, I absolutely do not, especially anymore. Uh, but I can see, you know, I guess I sidetracked with that little comment. But no, but, no, but that's really important what you just what you just said, though. Uh, and this is, I think, what when you talk about sobriety of the heart and the mind is that is about learning to accept people. This right. is that, that embra- truly embracing diversity. That's what I believe is such a, a reflection of what sobriety is, is I'm able to work through my biases, admit them. Mm-hmm. You know that yes, I did. I did look at people this way. I I define people as groups and tribes quite often, and I mean it happens. It's it's not it's not like there's something wrong or broken with us because we do that. We've just been taught for, to do it very well, right? You know, politics is. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, geez. without with you know, yeah. politics is like it's it's a tribalism. All you know, it's it, it's built around tribalism. So. Oh, that's the politics. Are, it's it's unbelievable, and you know. With with and I brought this up in aftercare, and sometimes I like to stoke the fire. Sometimes I like to no. Sometimes let's say no. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about pot. I just so I can observe. Just I, I don't want I don't want to be in the middle of it. I want to stoke it and just watch it. But you know, I, I talk. I brought this up in aftercare with the Trump victory and the reaction, especially on social media, uh-huh. of people. And the first thing I could think about is like, this probably won't affect me. And we're a, we're a year and a half in, and it has affected me very little. It affects me if I let it affect me. <laughs> if I rather, exactly, my, yeah, it affects me if I let if I let it affect me. Now, now I understand that there are, there are some policies that are discussed, or policies, you know, that and some some things that have happened that will truly affect people's life. But it's a very you know, in some cases, very small, very small number. But what I saw was the average American, you know, on a, you know, so I saw both sides. Yeah. One freaking out as if it's the end of the world and their life is ruined. And I am typing in social media, I am crying right now, <laughs> letting it control them. And so I, that's what I wanted. To, that's what yeah. I brought up in aftercare. I was like, guys. You know, recite the serenity prayer. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's that's what I thought. I saw this. I get you guys. I love it. You uh, guys need especially. to recite the serenity prayer and chill out. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, and just to clarify, I I am an atheist. <laughs> I I am an atheist down the middle politically. <laughs> yeah. I was, last night, I mean, this is a little bit of pop culture here, but I watched the. Um, 
the uh, the correspondence dinner. Oh know, yeah, they did. Yeah, I saw the highlights. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and, and, she, and she was she was awesome, and people were really offended by by her because it was it was it was dark, and it was direct, and it was made. It, she did exactly what. Um, she meant to Her do, job. I believe, which was to, uh, you know, basically roast right. people. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it was kind of funny when I kind of sat back and said how many people were offended by that. And I'm thinking, you know, welcome, welcome to life. Right. You know, this is, someone's going to say something you don't like, whether it's a comedian or, you know, it's a family member or it's Trump or, right. or whatever, you know, the chances yeah. are you're going to be offended if you take all that stuff personally. Right. And someone who's paid to make fun of people and to roast them right. and to take that personally. Yeah. Um, there's a slight bit of cognitive dissonance going on here yes. because reality is that this is entertainment, right. that this is, this is supposed to be in your face, funny and harsh. And, and the person that isn't able to absorb that kind of you know, that kind of information probably was, shouldn't be in that spot or shouldn't turn the TV on. It's like, if you don't, you know, like politics, don't watch cable news, you know, if it upsets you probably good to turn it off. Right. Right. Well, if I can turn into, uh, to grandpa Jared for a second, do that. Would you please? You know, it's, the one thing I'm finding, so you know, I used to really get involved in in well in that whole anger. So I think social media is cre. Oh, social media is creating a, a victim stance in our society. It, it is never it is. seen before, and I am so grateful that I am sober now with <laughs> less time to spend on social media. I, I spend my fair amount of time and it's very observant uh-huh. and nothing more, but people really get worked up on social media about yeah. the stupidest shit and, and some legitimate shit, but they get worked up nonetheless. Yeah. I'm just glad I go to work. I keep my time occupied where did you hear what Trump said? No. Or, yeah, I saw it, but I didn't have time to process it because I'm too busy with my own life. Uh-huh. I'm too busy creating my own happiness and and helping others and and doing whatever it is to stay away from the drugs and booze to yeah. really get too wrapped up into it. Yeah. It's, it's sickening how much time some people spend on there and really work themselves up in a tizzy. I, I do observe it. I kind of <laughs> see that. I'm like, yeah, um, it, it's just, it, it's crazy. And they, they'll do it with politics, especially. Yeah. Well, and, and definitely social media is having a, a, um, a huge effect on our adolescent culture, uh, adolescent population. Um, it's creating much higher levels of depression and anxiety, um, it's, you know, uh, I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I, I believe there's must be a direct correlation, um, between social media and the adolescent suicide rate, which is the highest it's ever been. And here in Utah, it's the number one cause of, um, uh, death for between 10 and 17 years old is suicide. Mm-hmm. And, um, we are, 
you know, we have we created this. This is not something that happened to us. Um, it's something that that gets consumed. We and that's a choice that gets made. What I heard you just say, Jared, and I, I believe, is that you choose very carefully what you consume right. in this area. Right. So, yeah, my hat, hats off to you, well, my friend. And, and I, I do observe and consume a lot, but it's. Uh, I guess I don't. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm another. You know that that is just kind of. You can get your information direct. You can kind of see what's going on. But I'm not on Facebook. Uh, and I noticed that a long time ago, a lot of the passive-aggressive. And, and I hear about it in community Facebook pages. Uh, when, you know, neighborhood Facebook pages they set up. And, and I hear stories of being people just being so passive-aggressive uh-huh. and just typing things on there that they would not say to their neighbor's face, but they'll say right. it on the Facebook page. Right. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And that, 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 that's true is that it's, it's become a way to, um, to communicate sort of the, the darkness and the hurt, um, without filters. Yeah. Uh, and, and that definitely is, is problematic. And this feeds into also the whole idea of confirmation bias, um, that, you know, we'll, we will put up with, I mean, the other side of that is we'll put up with behaviors in people that are in our tribe or in our group or our, or our family. Um, but if it's some, you know, if it's somebody, if it's someone else's group or tribe, um, we won't put up with the same behaviors. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, and, and rationalize and justify it. And so, you know, it's, it's, it just, it's important to try to find some level of accountability and the courage to be vulnerable and also be able to stand in our in our place during all of this. Um, it, social media in itself is just, again, a symptom of something, uh, of right. another underlying problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And we're, we're probably going to do one of those at some point. Um, but uh, what one of the a couple other things I want to touch on before we, we finish up today. And um, and uh, is there. In your life, and and who has been sort of a you know you we all sort of have different um, people or events or things that have kind of been um, uh, a powerful or, or have had a big influence on us. Um, is there a person or place or something that happened that you remember that was Im- impactful to you that sort of. Um, you you look up to or you you know you you learn something there was a life lesson and i'm not just talking about becoming sober but much much broader i mean sometimes i mean with 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 people i i kind of have gone back and you know i often ask you know who's a who's a mentor that you had in your life for things like that i i careful to ask that because one of my guests said yeah you well you and i said that was you know you're fishing for a compliment i was like no um so i i want to i want to be clear that um there's when you look at this is to look at it either as a person or a place or an event or something that was kind of inspirational to you. Do, do you have someone or something like that? Wow. I haven't thought about, thought about that. Um, hmm. You know, my, my, my head, uh, obviously my, my first instinct is go, my brother, Justin, has always kind of uh-huh. been there as a as someone I could rely on, especially since, um, 
you know, coming of age, you know, <laughs> growing up, you know, brothers. Sure. Fine, no. You know, yes. You're still trying to, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, he's always been kind of the solid one. He helped me when I was fresh out of, out of, uh, out of the rehab and, mm-hmm. and housed me. And I, I knew he, I could count on him for that. So, you know, he's, he's a pretty strong person in terms of d- doesn't bitch, doesn't complain. So that's something I admire and yeah. something yes. that I didn't, you know, I, I bitch and complain <laughs> and that's something I'm working on. And, and, you know, he doesn't bitch and moan, doesn't come up with excuses and, and, you know, has, has weathered the storm in terms of, you know, challenges facing three, you know, young kids that have lost their father and, mm-hmm. and was raised by a single mom and, you know, had to overcome, you know, things that, parts of their life that could go awry and astray uh-huh. and he's always been solid you know and and that's, is, that's a beautiful example yeah, actually, yeah. and yeah he's the most normal out of all of us so. <laughs> yeah. is he the oldest he's the middle he's the middle yeah beautiful so, yeah yeah so yeah. that's I, a, that's a great example and me and him really just we've always bonded since i have really turned into an adult and you know and yeah he's a, he's the one that can bond with all all the brothers uh-huh. you know each one and is is really kind of he has a pretty head, pretty good head on his shoulders always even killed i work with him now and i see that you right know? it's rare that he becomes overwhelmed with work or yeah. short fused where I'm constantly short fused <laughs> and constantly kicking shit around the office and pissed off and you know and you know and I try to, to learn and I've gotten better since since getting sober and I kind of you know looked at it like god he never you know every once in a while we're all human and we all we all have a fuse just others are this is true or longer than other yeah and when i see he him having a bad it's it, I, I my first thought is god it must be a really bad day for him that or maybe he just woke up on the wrong or got through three hours of sleep who knows who knows whatever so yeah i would say he's probably probably the one that's helped mentor me in life in general <laughs> so yeah. and and of course you know yeah, in in my mom being a single parent, you know, I definitely, you know, going through recovery, I, I realized that there's a lot of resentment there, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of admiration for what she's able to do raising three kids, you know, after going through a divorce, and I definitely have a lot of respect for single mothers who, who who do a good job of and and try their hardest to raise raise their kids mm-hmm. after you know whatever happens to yeah whatever their circumstance may be yeah. so you know i definitely have a lot of love and respect for her yeah. as well so. i have that same that same experience with my mother i was and i'm the youngest of five um and though that you know i did have a lot of respect for my mom and she did she knew how to show up and she went to work and you know did everything. I mean, it's, being a single parent is definitely right. one of those things that you can you can learn a lot from watching that because they're covering most of the roles within a family system when it comes to the the, the parental aspect of things. And 
that's definitely can be challenging, no doubt. I have my hands full with myself. <laughs> right. right? I, I can't find enough time to do certain things, and all I have is my set. You know, I have, I have you know, Lindsay and, you know, yeah. the two of us, we, we barely find time sometimes to deal with ourselves, much less kids. So, yeah, yeah hats off to, yeah. to single mo- mothers yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, want, I, I didn't talk to you about this, but I... I I do ask um, everyone who comes on if there was a, uh, and, and I thought about this a lot more this past week, and because I, I do talk about it during all the podcasts, if there was like a playlist for your life, you know, uh, 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 songs, you know, of what the, what they were, and um, and uh, you know, if there are one or two songs that you know kind of would represent you or be in some way be played at a celebration of your life is there anything that comes to mind for you my favorite Beatles song yesterday oh beautiful I just love that song and it just for some reason it 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 touches me I don't know why (laughs) I think it's nostalgic a little bit it is it is a nostalgic song but I really like the song and that's one that you could put to a lot of people's soundtrack sure yeah yeah I mean it just I I feels like it it, you hear the song and everyone says yeah I could fit that in my life so Maybe that's a cop-out answer. But no, no, answer. I, no, I think it's a great answer, actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And what, there's no cop-outs here. This is not like that. It's just because music is, is, um, music is one of those, those things that kind of does bring people together. It's, it is sort of a, a way in which we can resonate all on the same level. It's, I mean, you, you see people at a concert together all kind of standing there in the music, you know, I mean, I, you know, well, I don't know about today's pop music. I don't know if that's going to bring me to these. There's Grandpa Jared coming out. Yeah, there's Grandpa Jared coming out. Well, Jackson Brown's is coming to Red Butte, but I, you know, they, they, they tickets sold out along with the Abbott Brothers in less than an hour, so I wasn't, I wasn't able to get those. Bummer. Yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, okay. A- anything else song-wise? Or you want to... Is uh, yesterday, uh, Mr. Paul McCartney's uh, yesterday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, no, that, I think that perfect. That works. That 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 pretty much works. I'll think of something after we leave. I'll call in the next podcast when you're. Yeah, we take. What's your hot? What's the phone number to call yeah. in? Eight zero one five 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 one two one two. Say, Paul. Guess what? <laughs> We're not taking calls this episode, no, we're right? Not, we're not taking calls. Right. No, we're not taking calls. All right. Um, well, Jared, thank you so much for spending thank part you. of your Sunday morning that with was us. Fun. I really appreciate it. Um, you have a, a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, we'll go out as we always do with little Joan Osborne. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Uh-huh.